We are in the middle of this sermon series that I've been talking about, the what is. And this morning, I have to modify my what is question just slightly, because to be grammatically correct, I have to say what are, because what we're going to be talking about is a plural thing. But I wanted to talk to us this morning about good works. And the idea of what is or what are good works. So we're going to look at the scripture. I want to first of all talk about what does the scripture have to say on the subject. Then we're going to, so we're looking at a few passages of scripture. And then after that, I want to just reason out with you. I want to think this through with you. Um, I have some ideas and some thoughts. I want to hear from you for just a few minutes. And then let's see if we can come up with some type of a conclusion about good works and what is the, the function or role of good works in the life of a Christian. So, first of all, what does the scripture have to say on this? Ephesians chapter 2. If somebody wants to turn there, or I can read it. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, and when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen again to those last three verses. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, not by our efforts, so that no human being can ever boast about their relationship with God being right because of their own actions. So in that sense, I'm hearing, and and I don't want to get too much into the reasoning yet, but I'm hearing a, a negation of works. I'm hearing that works need to not be counted as worthy of anything. But then if you go into the very next verse, Paul says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So God created us to do good works, but... Our works are not sufficient or important towards our salvation. So what are they for? Because the salvation, the relation, restoration of relationship with God or the uh, keeping with God is not bound up in our works. It's all by grace. But we're created for works. So what is it for? We'll talk about it in just a second. James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. Could somebody turn on the fans? Because I'm getting very warm. James 1, 17 to 27. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 
He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. But don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Those who continue, those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that our father, that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And what I want to look at in this one Verse 21, 22, 23. Excuse me, verse 21 and 22. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil so that that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to it though and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then at the end of this section, verse 27. Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows and to keep yourself from being polluted. Mark 7. And I'm going to jump around in this one. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 8, 14, 15, and 21 to 23. Mark 7. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders, and they don't eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe of the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he, he said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. And then he called the crowd again and he said to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that is going in that can defile but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And in this one, the thing that's interesting You try to honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And I want to look at that. We looked at Psalm 15, very first thing we did this morning. Who can dwell in the sacred tents? Who can live on God's holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. 
whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe in a, uh, against the innocent. Whoever does, not, does these things will never be shaken. We'll talk about the mindset of works righteousness and getting into heaven by doing enough good things. Then finally, Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're reading one through two, verses 1, 2, and then 6 through 9. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord the, your God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Observe them carefully, for this, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as, for, as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? Only be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. And it's this thing in verse 6. It says, observe the law carefully, for this will show your wisdom and your understanding to those around you. When they see you acting appropriate, when they see you doing these, they're going to say, wow, look at those people. Wow. There's, a, there's something that's going to happen in their lives. So let's talk about this. If you were to walk down the street and just randomly ask any person, or even let's just make it even more real, you're sitting in a conversation over a cup of coffee with somebody, a friend of yours that isn't necessarily a Christian, has never been really brought up in, 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 in um, uh, a church environment, and you get onto the topic of eternal life and what's going to happen at the end when they die, how will they respond if you ask them, what do you need to do to get to heaven? What are they going to say to you? They don't need to go to church. Okay. Be good. Live a good life. Be good. I don't believe in heaven. Okay. Now, we can't prove heaven to somebody. So there's not a whole lot you can do with that argument. You just let them, let them believe it. That's nothing you're going to convince them of. The I don't need to go to church. You're absolutely right. Going to church is not going to make you a Christian. It's not going to get you in right relationship with God. You just say that there's a lot of hypocrites sitting across from me at this coffee table, too. I know, but I'm just saying, it, it, it's, I've, I've heard all of them, but the thing is that uh, I, I, you have to have people around you to support you. My son says I'm very, very blessed to have, to have all the support of my I agree that the, the church is a, is a, God has instituted the church as a wonderful thing for us, for support group, for growth, for, for discipling. Uh, but that going to church doesn't get you to heaven. Going to church, but but the but what, what Joyce said was that if you, she asked a friend, this person would say, "Well, you live a good life." Laura said the same thing. What does living a good life look like? Maybe somebody that believes in God and his son died on all of our sins isn't necessarily going to church and everything, but they still. You know, are a good husband, a good father, they take care of their children, they do for others. But they don't necessarily feel like they need to go to church because 
they volunteer, they belong to the food bank yeah. and do good deeds for people, random acts of kindness. Before I knew Christ, I, I lived a good life. I, I did, did kind things and gave people things, um, donated money, volunteered, uh, um, tried not to cuss, steal, <laughs> um, all of those things that, you know, that I had, but I was doing it out of my own, out of my own power. I didn't have, I, I thought that I had to do all of those things, and yet I still had a fear that I just didn't know, you know. I, I had a fear that, that I had all this, all this sin inside of me that it just wouldn't, like you said before to, to the kids, it just wouldn't come clean. Nothing I could do, and I had to just hide it and would think that I was a good person but I knew inside I was not but I had to just hide it hmm. I didn't want anybody to know so I'm assuming that all of us would come to the same understanding and agreement that the world may have this opinion that you have to live a good enough life to get into heaven and as long as you live a good life, that you can go to heaven. But that's not the teachings of Christ, and that's not the teachings found in the Word of God. Would you agree with that? That you can't live a good enough life to get to heaven? Okay. Um, if that's not the case then, if, if we can't live a good enough life to get to heaven, <clears throat> then we can go to the Ephesians verse and understand that it is God's grace that has empowered us or has enabled us to be in relationship with him. It is not by our own efforts. It is not by our own works. So we understand that our eternal security, our eternal relationship with God, our ticket into heaven, our get out of hell free card, whatever you want to look at it as, as my fire escape plan or whatever, is as a result of God's gift to me through his grace and his mercy. However, the very next verse, chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians, says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then James went on and said that works are important. They don't get us to heaven but they are to be part of the Christian lifestyle and practice. And so the question comes in, why do we do the things that we do? Why is it important for Christians to live well, to do good things? Because if my relationship with God is already settled through the blood of Christ, and I know that I'm clean in his sight, then what does it make any difference what I do after that? Well, there's some understanding that we have to do certain things because it's expected of us. So let's talk about that. Number, let's look at verse 27 of chapter uh, 1 of, Je of James. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. What do you see there? How does that flesh out for you? Where are there good works involved in this? That's a good example. I mean, you believe you're a Christian and you love our body, heart, and soul, and you're trying to get into the Word, you're trying to do everything right, but you also have others looking at you and observing, and so you 
you shove down through your heart, you know, what you feel, and you can share with them, you know, if the opportunity is open, that the faith in God and, you know, what you have and what you're going through and how you got there, and then sometimes that opens the door to help them. But I think at the same time that if you live in a home to where you're there when going to church, but you have them observing you and watching you. To me, it, it, I try to be on my toes and I try to always try to set a good example. But sometimes, like if they want to see a certain movie or whatever, you know, I have to come before God and say, hey, God, I watch a movie because I like action. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have to get this and I just try to. Okay. I think that's a side effect that what what they see. For me, I I always imagine myself as a vessel, and when you talk about being set aside, somebody's gone amongst all these common pots and picked me out and set me aside, and for his use. Mm-hmm. And but if I don't stay clean, like say I, um, say I read books that um, that. Uh, if things that get in the way get between myself and my relationship with God and, and my ability to discern the Holy Spirit, which He put in me when I accepted Him, um, uh, it, it's like static. And I can't hear what He's trying to tell me or what He's telling me to do mm-hmm. as far as the good works. So the good works should lead from, uh, um, from the relationship with Christ. And staying clean for me is staying clean before Him. So, and, and it's like He can see me, but if I don't clean the window off, if I don't clean that curtain off, I can't. I can't hear Him. I can't. I can't discern Him. I can't know what what you know is grieving Him or what is uh, you know. I'll get desensitized if I stay if I stay too much in in the mud hole and 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 don't purposely set myself aside so that I, so that I can um, you know shine for the the people around me I don't have the verse in my notes and so and off the top of my head I can't think of the reference Renee if you if you think of it let me know or somebody else but there's a verse in, in the scriptures that says <clears throat> let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds so that they can glorify your father who is in heaven does anybody know where that's found it's Matthew, is it in the Sermon on the Mount? It's probably, okay, I knew it was somewhere, I was thinking it was in the Sermon on the Mount, but we don't have to know the exact reference, you can look that up later. But think about what that is. Jesus' teaching is, let your light, let your, the way you live your life, this is what Cora was talking about in trying to live before the people that are in her life, what Elsie's talking about, trying to live a pure and holy life and not be defiled, let your light so shine before the world that they see the good works that you do and then turn and give glory to God as a result. They don't say, oh, Maggie, you're the most wonderful person since you've become a Christian. I just see all this stuff in your life. You're such a good person. They don't do that. That's not the reason for you wanting to do the good works. You don't want the glory for yourself. The goal of this is that your Father in heaven should be glorified through everything that you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So our good works, A, should be a natural outflow of our relationship with God. 
James says, you have faith? Great. I have faith too. Show me your faith. Let me see your faith by the things that you do. The fruit, if you will, yes. But it's not, it's not fruit that you have to do. It's not fruit that you have to produce by your own strength and your own effort. Well, if I'm the branch and I'm not, if I break off from the tree, I'm not, the fruit's not going to Exactly. Go ahead. Another thing is that the, the church takes all your money, you know? And I just don't know what time. That's <laughs> now. Let me let me also talk about the the the. the um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, you didn't do it. Um, oh, where was I going? While you're thinking, it was Matthew five sixteen. Okay, Matthew five sixteen. Where I was going was this, if in the Mark chapter 7 one, the one that I illustrated with the kids and the washing of the hands and making sure that you're clean. One of the things that I learned when I first came into the Church of the Nazarene, I joined the Church of the Nazarene in 1978. And if you look at the history of the Church of the Nazarene, the Church of the Nazarene came from what was known as the American Holiness Movement, which was back in the early 1800s all the way through to the first part of the 1900s. And this holiness movement was... These were people who were on fire for God. They had had an intimate one-on-one experience with God through the cleansing and power of the Holy Spirit coming into their life and empowering them for the, for the life that God called them to do. And they professed it and lived it. And they began to, to gather together amongst themselves saying, we need to live holy and pure and righteous lives to bring glory to God. And they were sincere and real and genuine in their living out of these holy lives. And then we formed into these organizations known as the Holiness Churches, Church of the Nazarene being one of them. And then all of a sudden we said, you know what, to be holy and righteous and pure people, we need to do the following. We need to make sure that we dress modestly. I can agree with that. We need to dress modestly to bring glory and honor to God. So we're going to make sure that all of our people know to live a holy life, you dress modestly. And when we see someone not dressing modestly, we're going to come alongside them and help them to understand that if they're not dressing modestly, they're not bringing glory to God. Okay, so what are some of the other things as holy people we need to be thinking about doing? Well, you know, that evil of alcohol and the evil of tobacco, it brings nothing but misery to the lives of the people that participate in it. It costs them hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. We need to, and it causes causes deformities and birth defects and, and cancer. These evils need to be purged from our lives and we're going to be living holy and righteously. Yes, amen, preach it. And so we incorporated it into our list of that which we do not do as holy people. We don't drink. We don't, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do. Okay? <clears throat> and I can remember distinctly on a Sunday afternoon. It was Sunday evening actually in Texas. 80, 90, maybe 100 degree weather that day. And there were two women who had gone out for the day. Sisters-in-law, they had been in church that morning in their little Nancy Nazarene outfits with their beautiful little uh, dresses and high heels and their, their, their pantyhose and everything matched, all their accoutrements. And then they went out picnicking with their family. <coughs> and they were coming back to church for the evening service. That's unheard of. But this was 30 years ago, so it's okay. Um, actually, it was 40 years ago. <clears throat> but they came to church 
wearing shorts. And you could see the rounds of their little behind sticking out from underneath those shorts. And little old Nancy Nazarene came up to them and said, Now you listen here, girls. You do not come into the house of God dressed like that. Now you go get yourself some decent clothes. Well, it didn't sit well with these two young ladies. And they were very angry. Now they're still part of the church. And the person that they had this argument with, they've reconciled. And it's all settled and done. But in my heart, who was right? Who was wrong? I'm not going to say that at this point because it's being recorded. But uh, talk to me privately later. Who was right and who was wrong in that situation? And I could go on list after list after list after list. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Why? Because it brings glory and honor to God. And we want to live righteously. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Of course. It also says in Romans chapter 14, some people think one day is more sacred than another's and others think all days are equally the same. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And if a person has scruples over something, then they need to not participate in that particular activity because anything they do that is not done from a sense of confidence before God, then they are entering into the realm of sin. For that person. No. Sorry. Sorry. I'm on a roll and I don't want to lose my train of thought. Romans chapter 15 says. I lost my train of thought. Romans chapter 15 says. That if you do it without confidence. It is sin. Now what does that mean? (coughs) That means that as I am trying to live out my life before God. I need to be doing good works. But I need to be doing it with the right heart, with the right mindset, with the right attitude. It is not a situation where I'm supposed to be trying to make myself look good. It is not a situation where I'm supposed to worry about what the church is going to think or anybody else is going to think. It is supposed to simply be, let my light shine out before the people around me so that when they see the work that I do, they bring glory to God. And how do I do this good works? These good works are done, as it said in James chapter 1 verse 27 ministering in love to the people who have need around you. Whether that is widows and orphans or whether it is simply the person who's walking down Chena Hot Springs Road with their thumb stuck out. Whether it's the person who's drunk and passed out on the street corner laying in their own vomit. You need to stop and help them. No matter how distasteful it may be for you. You need to be seeking out whatever God would have for you. Not so that you can get another check mark, so that you can be righteous Ralph or holy Hilda. You need to be trying to bring glory to God through everything that you do, not so you can earn a place in heaven, not so that you can look good in the eyes of the church, not so that you can declare yourself holy. You are doing these things because it is part of being a Christian. It is living your life so that God is glorified and the kingdom of God is advanced. Now, I've made a little bit of light about our holiness heritage because you need to understand. For about 40 or 50 years during the 1900s, the Church of the Nazarene and the other holiness movement churches got away from experientially living holy lives 
to legalistically putting out a checklist. And if you filled this checklist out and got all of your little boxes filled, then you were a holy person. And you would hear testimonies every Sunday night. I'm saved and sanctified and I give glory to God. Well, what does that really mean to say you're saved and sanctified? To say you're saved and sanctified means that you are cleansed because of the blood of Christ and you are cleansed of the carnal nature because of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does the cleansing of the carnal nature do? It stops you from always wanting to do selfish things. It It empowers you to live selflessly. For what purpose? To bring glory to God. Not glory to yourself. To not make yourself look good. To not feel good because I'm living a holy and righteous life. So what I'm saying this morning to us is good works obviously don't get us into heaven. Good works are not required to be a Christian. But good works are a natural outflow of being a Christian. And if you are struggling in this area, then you need to get on your face before God and you need to ask Him, help. Help me to understand what it is that you want from me. Help me to understand what it is that I'm not doing right. Help me to understand. And see, that that gets into this really weird thing because what I'm not doing right then gets into this little pharisaical, am I doing it right? Am I washing my hands the correct way? Don't focus on the action. Focus on the heart, heart attitude. Am I doing this to glorify God? Am I doing this because I want to do everything I can to bring glory and honor to God? Now, there are certain things, and this is where the holiness lifestyle I love, the whole, there are certain things that, that I think we need as Christians to do, and that's this. If staying holy and pure means that I don't come to this point, then I need to live my life this far away from that point. And I need to establish some form of barrier to keep me from accidentally, without thinking about it, stumbling over towards this point. There needs to be a fence, or a chair, or a stool, or a wall, or something that I intentionally put between me and that point. And that's holy living. Now that's not good works. That's not being good enough so that I say, that's just simply being smart. If God said to you, now I'm not saying this is wrong for all people, but if God said to you, you are never, ever, ever to do that, then that needs to be as far away from me as possible, and I need to make sure there are barriers in place, so that when I'm weak in my own strength and my own convictions, and I'm not feeling well, and I fall into old patterns, there's something that can Remind me, hey, I'm going to stay away from that to be honoring of God in my life. Whatever that is. I mean, it could be chocolate for some people. Okay? It could be sex. It could be maybe there are some of the people, especially the young guys in this church, who have had access to the internet and have exposed yourself to pornography online. And it could be that you now have to establish some safety nets on your internet experience that don't allow you to accidentally, quote-unquote, follow a path that gets you back into seeing all that filth. That's why you maybe, like in my case, I've had struggles with pornography from the time I was 10 years old. And I, I had struggles with internet pornography 
when it first came out because other people used my computer and accessed it and then it came up and once the, once the image is in your brain, folks, it's burned there. It doesn't go away. And the enemy can bring it back over and over and over and over and over again. And in my case, I literally have had to do certain things about my own living so that there's no chance of me accidentally stumbling back that way because it could ruin my ministry. Okay? So, what happened in my new office downstairs? Well, there's a door that's all glass. Why? I can't hide. Did you notice where my desk is placed in my office? Let's talk about it. You walk up to the pastor's door, and straight ahead you see a chair, and a table, and then his desk. And where is my computer monitor? In the center of my desk, and you can stand right here outside my office and look right through that glass, and you can see that monitor. Now, of course, if I'm sitting in front of it, there's a possibility that I could be blocking it. But the reality is, I did that intentionally. Because if I were tempted to get online sometime and do what I'm not supposed to do, you could very quietly come up to my glass door and I wouldn't have a clue that you were there and you could see that your pastor was engaged in activity he shouldn't be involved with. Now, I don't participate. It is not an issue in my life. It is a safeguard that I have set up because God has said, Thou shalt not come near it. So I've set up boundaries and barriers intentionally to protect me from straying in that area. And see, this is my understanding of good works as well. Being intentional and making sure that my life is structured in such a way that everything that I do brings glory to God and doesn't give the opportunity for the enemy to bring harm to me or to my loved ones. I think that's what I needed to say this morning to you. A, good works aren't going to get you there. B, good works are part of our lifestyle. And C, good works include intentionality, whether it is prohibiting us from certain activities or intentionally choosing certain activities. All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would bless us, encourage us, strengthen us, keep us. I pray, Father, if there's anybody in this room that is struggling in any of the areas we've talked about today, I ask that you would just give them the power and the encouragement and, the, and the, 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 the uplift that they need, Lord Jesus, to do that which you're calling them to do. I pray, Father God, that you would strengthen us and, and move forward in this ministry, using us to bring glory to you in this community, Father. I pray, Father God, that you would safeguard this, this ministry so that there'd be no opportunity for the enemy to bring harm. And finally, Lord, I ask that when people see the things that this faith does, that they would recognize it as an act of love to you. And that it would bring glory to you and not to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.